0: When we talk about the Time Doctor brand, that's a pretty big company now, right? Mm -hmm. That's a, you know, like a mid eight figure company.
1: It's a pretty healthy eight figure company. We've got almost 200 people in 46 different countries all over the world. And it's operating very effectively in terms of its business model and where it's going.
0: All branding is personal. And it's not about who you say you are, it's about who you are and how you say it. I'm Hirsch Reppoon, copywriter, comedian, and brand voice expert. I've helped hundreds of companies fine tune their messaging and now I'm sitting down with some of the most ambitious and imaginative founders around who share their seven figure stories and their next figure goals. Let's hit the brand voice runway. Welcome back to Brand Voice Runway. Taking the runway with us today is Liam Martin. Liam's a founder, speaker, and author, and innovator. You may have heard of Time Doctor, which is a leader in time tracking, productivity software, specifically engineered to cater to the diverse needs of the outsourcing, IT, and SME sector. So that's one thing we will focus on, but we're also going to focus on the future of work and remote and Liam's passions about that and about branding and his personal brand, as well as his corporate brand.
1: Welcome, Liam, to Brand Voice Runway. First, thanks for having me. Appreciate it and excited to jump on and talk about remote work and personal branding. I don't know how you're going to put those two together, but I'm excited to see how it happens. <laughs> and so
0: am I. I don't know exactly how that will come together, but I know that when you're passionate about stuff and you're curious about stuff, it all kind of unfolds. That's Mm -hmm. how these conversations work and why I like them so much. But tell me a little bit about your passion for remote work, because I think that's going to be at the core of all of these different things that we cover, if
1: I'm right. Sure. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So remote work for me started a very long time ago. I was doing it before it was cool. It was (laughs) 2010, 2011. So I ended up teaching, well, teaching. I was a graduate student at McGill University and in Montreal, Canada, where I'm currently back to. And I remember I taught my very first course in grad school. And for those of you that don't know, most first and second year courses are taught by graduate students. They're not actually taught by faculty. Started with 300 students, ended up with less than 150 that finished the class with me and the worst academic reviews in the history of the department. (laughs) And I remember walking into my supervisor's office and I said, I don't think I'm very good at this. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, so what do you think I should do next? He said, you got to get pretty good at this teaching thing over the next 20 years if you want to do anything fun after that. So either get better at teaching or figure out something else to do. Six weeks later, I threw a master's thesis under his door and I was out into the real world. And what I started with was I was really bad at lecturing in the university environment, but I was pretty good at teaching directly. So I started an online tutoring business and that grew to dozens of tutors throughout North America and Europe and that was my first real foray into remote work and so for me it's really empowered not only myself but everyone around me to be able to work wherever they want whenever they want and I think that that really just creates a better world in general so It's something that I've been doing it since, as I said, 2011, and it feeds through everything that we do. Time Doctor, our time tracking product, Running Remote, our conference, our Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Running Remote as well. All of those things tie into a single mission, which is empowering the world's transition towards remote work. So for me, I think that remote work gives both employers and employees the opportunity to find the best of each other. So it allows for everyone on planet Earth to have access to the absolute best talent pool if you're an employer. And if you're an employee, you also get the most fantastic opportunities in the world. And not only that, an opportunity that's very specifically set to exactly what you're good at. So that's, to me, something that I'm happy to commit the next 10 years of my life to. I've committed the last 20 years to that subject. And I'm excited about committing the next 10 because it just provides people I think it probably provides people the single most important increase in terms of happiness when you're talking about work. So I don't know of a better way to be able to spend my time. If you know of one, please let me know.
0: (laughs) Well, that makes sense to me. I think to move from the note... Now I understand the personal brand a little bit better. When we talk about the Time Doctor brand, that's a pretty big company now, right? Mm-hmm. That's a you know like a mid-eight-figure
1: company. It's a pretty healthy eight-figure company. We've got almost 200 people in 46 different countries all over the world. And it's operating very effectively in yeah. terms of its business model and where it's going. I mean... So the other part of this too is SaaS as a model. I don't want to kind of pull this over, take a right turn in terms of your podcast, but software as a service, they're slow to start, but once you get them rolling, it's like a snowball effect. So it's really for us right now, 60 plus percent of our business just comes from referrals. So it's an incredibly successful business model because of the customers that we have. So the customers love our product and they refer other people and once you're in that kind of snowball effect it's pretty magical.
0: Well, I was actually going to ask you about the the growth aspect of the business because what what year again was it founded? 2012. 2012. And yeah. so were the first few years kind of a, a struggle. What was that like?
1: They were but I think like any other business, particularly a bootstrapped business, mm-hmm. they were slower to start, but faster as you you move forward. SaaS has that exponential yeah. process that very few other businesses have. You can get an agency to a million dollars, maybe a $10 million agency. Very, very difficult to get to a $100 million agency. Right. If you do everything right, the if you started an agency and a saas product at the same time the agency would make it to 10 million before the saas product would but the saas product can make it to 100 million whereas the agency basically can't so yeah. that's what i'm talking about in terms of that that scale and the first few years were tough being bootstrapped but we ended up getting a thousand customers and then they were happy and then we got 5000 and then we got 10000 and 15000 and just you know it's just kind of spun up To the point where my biggest job right now, actually, kind of connecting this back to brand, is being a brand advocate for the customer base and figuring out what do they want and why do they want to, what kind of information do they want to know about? So I can bring that information back to them and kind of almost act as like the tip of the spear in terms Mm -hmm. of things that they're really excited about. Right now, we're currently working on a large literature review on every single piece of academically reviewed, every every single academically reviewed study on remote work and whether it increases or decreases productivity. And the data is insane. We've found that we're talking like 98% of academically reviewed studies that we've seen have shown that remote work improves productivity and doesn't reduce productivity. But if you would look at the press, it's the absolute opposite. Right. So there's this conspiratorial pushback to the office that is essentially being run by a lot of corporate real estate barons that when I look at the data and when I look at the articles that are being referenced, they're almost entirely bought articles. And so it blows me away that these journalists don't spend the time to be able to actually look up their sources. And so that's a big piece that I'm currently working on to be able to set the record straight.
0: Well, it's great that you mentioned that, Liam, because there was an article in the New York Times today about uh, tech firms leaving New York and knowing that we were going to speak, you know, I had it in in my mind, but it happened to pop up and it was talking about all the real estate kind of pullouts and the, uh, you know, Spotify trying to lease five floors of the 16 floors that it had got bought into this huge lease on and it was all, essentially bad news for real estate, you know, developers. And it was, you know, a, but they didn't mention remote work as a cause. They didn't mention any of that (laughs) stuff, but it's so obvious that there's this concern over it at least, you know, but now to hear you mention the kind of PR effort behind going back to the office, going, returning to work. I love how they call it returning to work as though people have not worked or are not
1: working at at home. What were you doing the last three years? I guess we're doing nothing. Returning to work. And that's not,
0: it's never an accident when I I work in that, in the image and nomenclature, you know, field and all of that. That's never an accident that people refer to it as returning to work. Yeah.
1: No, and there's there are teams in place that are very specifically setting out <clears throat> mandates and angles and PR campaigns specifically to be able to change that narrative. And I'm just calling everyone out saying, listen, you guys are BSing here. Here's the data. Show me, show me information that's counter to that. And I'm very excited to be able to take a look at it. But we have hundreds of thousands of remote workers on our network inside of Time Doctor. And we look at the data. And we see people that work in an office versus not an office. We own the largest second by second work database on the planet. And I assure you, working from home, remote work is more productive. Now, when you take a look at what's currently happening in the US economy, just corporate real estate, unused corporate real estate, before the pandemic, it was about 4% vacancy rate. Right now, it's 22% vacancy rate. It was 20% vacancy rate a quarter and a half ago. We're going up, not down. And mm-hmm. all of the data sets show that remote work is actually increasing and not going down. You'd think it's the opposite with all of this talk about returning to the office. But the five major studies that I've seen have shown it's either flat or going back up. And yeah. we're at about 26 to 34% depending upon the data set that you take a look at. So when you look at BlackRock, that's 40% corporate real estate. When you look at the banks that have mm-hmm. About 22% of their holdings are corporate real estate. There's $22 trillion, with a T, $22 trillion of corporate real estate that is not being used right now. And $1.5 trillion must be paid this year. That was the entire buyout for COVID. Someone's got to pay that bill within the next 365 days, and it's going to be BlackRock and the banks. This is really bad news for those institutions that have really, and it's not their fault. Corporate real estate's a blue chip stock, right? Yeah. Um, what's more stable than corporate real estate? Well, remote work happened. And all of these things and this, these mandates have changed. I would say, and I said this at Running Remote, which we had in April, I said, this time, by this time next year, remote workers will have a scarlet letter on them because they will be the ones that will be pointed at as the cause of the real collapse of the economy. And I don't think even though the S&P is up right now and everything's going really, really well, listen to what I'm saying right now, get this podcast, star it somewhere. In six to 12 months, you're gonna come back and you're gonna say, why didn't I pay attention to Liam and get out of BlackRock when I could.
0: Yeah, and that's and you know, we can see these things coming. It's not always we don't always listen, we don't always pay attention. Quite often we don't. And you know, the the fact that remote workers will be scapegoated, you know, for causing a collapse is another one of those sound bites that can be so easily t- distorted, you know, that because people can hear, I think people have the capacity to hear a half of a sentence. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have often the capacity to even hear an entire sentence anymore. So you can't use, you know, uh, compound sentences and thoughts. You have to have a half a thought, which is you have to be able to get out there that working remotely is more productive. If you had a half a sentence Mm -hmm. to say, why is it working? Why does it work? What would you focus on?
1: It's not about productivity whatsoever. It's about someone getting an hour and a half back in their day. The amount of time that it takes to be able to commute in and out of this place that is actually a net reduction in overall output because you get distracted all the time. You're talking to all these other people that are stopping you from actually getting work done as opposed to doing work where there's fewer distractions. Don't take that in consideration. If you just gave someone 90 minutes of more sleep per day, right. you would blow everyone out of the water because the organization whose employees have 90 minutes more sleep than yours, win. Right. Now, that doesn't take any consideration the distractions that you end up having at work, the amount of BS that you have to do at work in terms of the stress, the frustration, Getting dealing with your kids, some emergency happens, you've got to drop out of the office early and run in and take care of them. There's a bunch of other variables. And then also the other piece that I think is very important is location. So if you have the best team in New York, that's great. But I have the best team in the world, definitively, right? Every single day, when we put out a new job spec, and we put a job spec out almost every day, we don't look for who's the best graphics editor, or who's the best video editor in New York, we look for who's the best video editor at this price point on planet earth. And our process is much more precise than the vast majority of companies that are doing it in an on-premise way. And it is just simply a mathematical probability that we are going to end up either being more productive, which we are, or more efficient in terms of our overall output in comparison to on-premise companies. So to me, it's relatively clear. There was a really good, in the first chapter of running remote, we have the head of remote for GitLab, and he put it really well this way. Remote work, and specifically asynchronous work, which is the management philosophy for remote work, is like the Model T versus the horse and buggy and right now in 2020 the model t's just started rolling off the production line and so no one really realizes it yet but those horse's days are numbered and if you are someone that's still thinking that the horse and buggy is the way to do it listen the time's running on you you need to be able to adapt to this new way of management
0: yeah yeah and i love that analogy of the you know the best team in the world with time doctor So I want to circle back to how you stay in touch with the customer, the time doctor customers. What do you use? What method do you use to, to do that?
1: For us, the primary method, to be honest with you, is email, but then also social media is another one that we're, again, connecting back to brand. That's something that I represent an avatar that is representative of our customers needs and wants and desires so that's fundamentally what i represent as leah martin the brand versus just myself right i'm relatively different if you watch any of my youtube videos i'm pretty peppy someone would almost put uh, some people almost consider me quite ditzy on those videos (laughs) it's true but that's actually a character that i'm presenting which is Someone who, and we actually went through this brand exercise a couple of years ago. It was, uh, who is the, it was a film in the nineties. And it was about a simple, a simpleton man who ended up buying stocks in Apple and he built a shrimping boat fleet and he went to the Vietnam War and he was a ping pong champion, Forrest Gump. So I am basically Forrest Gump. On YouTube, right? It's like, who knows how I end up coming up with all these things, but I just seem to do amazing things. And no one knows why. That's what my brand is on YouTube. And it's a little bit different from the master's degree, academically minded guy that I usually am. But I recognize that the ability for you to understand that anyone can actually do this is critical towards my overall brand touch and feel. So I don't use. It actually took me a really long time to be able to get rid of multiple, what's it called? Very long words. See, I'm doing it now. Yeah. Very long words in terms of my speech. My diction. I reduced my diction significantly because I wanted to be able to make sure that there's a really great tool that connects to Zoom. And I think I actually have it here. It is poised. So what it allows me to do is identify the grade school value of the way that I communicate. And I'm always trying to target between a fifth and sixth grade comprehension level, as opposed to the way that I usually speak, which is around 11th to 12th grade comprehension level. Mm. So just being able to reduce those levels has been huge in terms of my engagement, watch time on YouTube, all that kind of stuff. And then I also extrapolate that towards even Twitter or Facebook on LinkedIn, I actually adopt a different type of avatar, or more specifically, the team does, which is much more academically minded, because on LinkedIn, that's the type of environment where you can have that type of a conversation. But even then, there's a little bit of that. What did you mention? A little bit of Forest Gump worked in there, A little too. bit of Forest Gump. I'm for wow. Forrest Gump. This is my fourth podcast today, so oh, I wow. apologize if... I'm a little bit all over the place, but this is another part of like brand communication, right? It's batching this information. It's defining a podcast day, which is usually Tuesdays for me, and then just going through that queue. Usually by the fifth or sixth one, I'm in a really fun mood. Yeah. Yeah, but that's I mean, the
0: fact that you're so keenly tuned into that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. That is what fascinates me most. When I was when I was younger. I did a lot of stand-up comedy. I did voices, characters, things like that. I inherited this ear for dialects and voices from my dad, but I realized that's how I hear brands and CEOs and founders as well. I hear them talk. I get the voice that they're speaking in their most mm-hmm. sincere you know, iteration where they're relaxed and they're not trying to present a certain image, but then I watch the other images they present. You talk to somebody backstage, you see them go out and you see the difference between the two and you start to analyze what's going to be the most effective for the goals that they want to accomplish while not confusing their community, you know? Mm -hmm. So there is a voice. Sometimes in email, it's best to have a third person voice of some, you know, to remove you from it. You know, sometimes it's great to have your corner where you're yourself, but I totally get with the YouTube videos and I watched a couple. And so I know what you're talking about in terms of the energy. And it's, I mean, the more you think and the more active you are in terms of what you're doing with your brand and your companies, the more you have to figure out how to calibrate these messages. That's why I say companies have a seven-figure brand voice or an eight-figure brand voice. And when they're transitioning, they have to start thinking about what that next figure brand voice will be because they have a different set of, you know, the audience is different. There's different levels of people paying attention to them. And it is interesting, like we talked about, where, you know, I mentioned to somebody the other day that some of the world's largest brands have a single individual indelibly attached to them because wh- whatever that individual's point of view was, until they left the company, they every day added to the mystique, the personality, the voice of the brand that they were building. And still, that the brand will have to stand on its own. And these days, especially, a brand will have to make decisions about what it believes, versus what the founder believes and when you're yes. talking about saas companies it's interesting is there have you come across controversy in the voice and a perspective of time doctor for example i mean time absolutely. doctor absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. so i that. mean
1: when you look at <clears throat> when you look at time doctor versus running remote as an example right running remote is a broad tented organization. So that mission is relatively the same, but somewhat different. And time tracking inside of remote work is sometimes a hot button issue. 96% of remote teams have some level of time tracking or accountability inside of them, but it's still a hot button issue for that 4%. And that 4% is welcome inside of running remote as well. But I, there are sometimes conflicts between those two groups and for me, instead of being someone that says that group isn't allowed inside of our community, I say it's encouraged. <clears throat> we encourage that type of discussion and debate. But to be honest with you, at least for me, without accountability and direct quantifiable measurement inside of remote teams, it doesn't work. And I have a lot of data to be able to back that up, too. So that's an opportunity for me to be able to speak to that side of The room. I would also say, back to your previous point with regards to individuals that connect to the larger corporate brand, the greatest thing about an individual brand is it allows you to be able to experiment and move off into different directions while not also damaging the corporate brand. So, you know, is Tesla going to, is Tesla right wing? Elon Musk has moved from the left to the right. Well, what is Tesla? Tesla isn't anything, Tesla is a different thing. Tesla is the corporate brand, but then Elon can kind of flow through that process and he can experiment and maybe he can pull aspects of what he's doing from a personal brand into what Tesla is doing. It's the same exact thing with us in terms of the way that our team sees my personal branding versus the corporate brands is we wanna be able to placate between those different groups. And there's something that Leah Martin as a personal brand can say and Time Doctor or Running Remote can't. And it actually allows us to be able to experiment, to be able to say, should Running Remote say this? Okay, well, what if Liam says it? Oh, wow, there's a lot of negative feedback on that one. Maybe we shouldn't say that, right? So it's like one of those things that is really great experimentation space. And I actually think everyone That is, and particularly right now, as you look at influencer marketing, which is really uh, right. has just outsold Hershey chocolate bars. Prime Energy Drink, which has become, I think it's now getting close to a quarter of the market share of uh, Pepsi at this point. Like absolute behemoth companies. Yeah, insane. Right. Insane companies that are started by what? Personal brands. So the actual thing that's happening right now is because of social media, personal brands that can expand and scale out by huge volumes are now actually doing the reverse. So it used to be that personal brands kind of came out of corporate brands. Now the personal brand is being built and the corporate brand is being built after the personal brand to be able to then say, well, is Feastable's you know, left-wing, right-wing, politically, who knows, right? Is Prime politically positioned in any way? Who knows? But, you know, those personal brands definitely have those aspects to them. So it's really interesting to be able to see that now. And I actually think anyone that doesn't invest in their personal brand is missing the boat here. Because yes, we talk about like, you know, Mr. Beast and and Logan Paul and KSI that are just these absolute behemoths. But if you're 1%, Of KSI, or more specifically, if you're the 1% that you want to go after, meaning I want to go after Fortune 500 companies that are going remote. So what does that mean? Well, there's only 500 of those CEOs that exist. So I need to attract 50 of those people. What kind of brand avatar do I need to be personally in order to be able to attract and convince those people that remote work is actually working? And how do I put those pieces together? I mean, that's essentially what we're currently doing right now. And it has actually, I've had an interesting transition where we went from a lot of agencies and a lot of individual entrepreneurs pre COVID to very large corporate 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 seat organizations post COVID. So My current brand exists definitely still on that agency side and those like small, medium businesses side, but we're trying to make that transition over the corporate side. You can't just do it overnight. It's actually going to take probably a good year or two, but it just boils down to me building content that my current demographic can still speak to and enjoy while also hopefully opening the door to some of the more corporate brands. Because we see a huge opportunity of firing up companies that would have never thought about remote work three years ago are now actually thinking about it. So what, what, what I'm trying to do is change my language and the way that I communicate to those organizations to hopefully convince them to go remote.
0: Yeah, and I guess part of that is the message of, you know, join us. Join us when you're referring to your small business, or your individual client, that level of client, you're saying to those humongous corporations, join us become more humane more you know
1: yes so you're doing a love sell. i like to switch between love and fear there's only okay. two ways of selling people through love and fear so you just gave the love cell right my fear cell is pre-covid y combinator 13 percent of companies that started in y combinator which is the best accelerator in the world right we're remote Just this last cohort, 64% of those companies are starting their businesses remotely. Those are the companies that would become the behemoths in the next five to 10 years. Do you truly want to be left behind in terms of not understanding how to manage that workforce, not being able to effectively produce a return from remote workers? Do you want to get stuck in your on-premise, old-school way of operating? Or do you want to at least hedge your bets? and learn how to be able to manage remotely and open up the opportunities to everyone inside of your organization to be able to do that. If you want to not get left behind, you might as well spend a little bit of time checking out things like running remote, reading the book, checking out Time Doctor, engaging in the remote work technology stack and implementing the strategies that not just me, but everyone in this community has laid out in order to be able to be a successful remote company because it doesn't, it costs you almost nothing to be able to actually hedge against what could literally be, and I believe is, the biggest thing to happen in work since the industrial revolution.
0: So hmm. what is a resolution that you might have for the next, you know, 12 months, for the next, I just say the next year, but, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I can go a little bit further than that, actually in terms of, because I think very, very long-term, we've been running this business for 11 years and we want to run it for at least another 11. Pre-COVID, February of 2020, 4% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. By March, it was 45% of the U.S. workforce. Dependent upon the data set that you look at, I've looked at five, 26 to 34% of the U.S. workforce is currently working remotely. But all five of those studies have shown that either the return back to the office is flat or is actually decreasing. So more people are going back to working from home this quarter than last quarter. And most of these studies show an acceleration to 50% of the US workforce working remotely by 2040. So my vision is that's the direction that we're currently going. I'm currently on this huge upswing in which We are a critical part of the remote work technology stack. So I am just along for the ride (laughs) and trying to help people transition as much as I possibly can, because I see it as a mathematical certainty that we will be at that particular target by that point. That's the thing that I know that most people don't know is we're going to actually be there. And then what are the implications of that? Commercial real estate is screwed right a bunch of other things that are going to have to change in a big way for us to be able to adapt to that so managing all of those adaptations is the big thing that i'm not only commenting on but then i'm also putting my dollars there so i'm investing in a bunch of companies connected to remote technology and the remote technology stack and that's kind of where i see the direction moving out and that was another reason why i actually ended up doubling down on running remote was i realized We had 700 people at the running remote that was pre-COVID in 2019. And that's a relatively small conference. But now it's such a valuable asset, so much more valuable than it was three years ago, because there are so many more people that want to know this information. And we have access to the right people to be able to deliver that information to our attendees. So that's kind of the way that I see the vision is, owning the conversation about remote work, which is running remote, and then owning one piece of the technology stack and owning little tiny pieces of the rest of the technology stack down the line and then telling people about them um, from a personal brand perspective.
0: If you've enjoyed this episode of Brand Voice Runway, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. The positive reinforcement keeps us going. Who am I kidding? Founders like us keep going regardless. Thanks so much for listening and make tomorrow greater than today.